Thank you. Well, happy Resurrection Day. I, uh, I know it says Easter on your calendar, but I, I really prefer to call it Resurrection Day because I think so much gets lost when we say Easter. So many other things thrown away and walked out of that tomb. A risen Savior, our glorious Lord, who was and is and is to come. And so that's why we gather here this morning to worship Him, to give honor to Him, to give glory to Him, to give thanks to Him. And um, there's really nothing else that compares to what God has done for us. We've been going through the Old Testament um, book of Exodus, and so much of Exodus overshadows uh, uh, things that are, um, that are going to happen later. God saving His people out of, out of Egypt, and, and God sending Moses to, to lead the people out of Egypt and and the miracles that God did to preserve and save his people and it all points forward to the coming of our savior Jesus Christ who saves people not from earthly slavery but who saves us from spiritual slavery who saves us not just from earthly death but saves us from spiritual death which is eternal and we're going to take a look at that this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles there, there should be some Bibles in your pews if you don't have one of your own there with you. 1 Corinthians in the, the New Testament there. And as you're finding 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to um, actually look start with verse 12, but... I want to ask you a question. Um, what's going to happen to you when you die? A um, couple things. One, um, what happens to your body when you die? Two, um, what happens to your soul when you die? Where are you going when you die? You know, the harsh reality is um, there's a, a one-to-one correlation, births to deaths. Everyone who is born will die. And we know not that day or that hour. We count each day or should count each day and each breath a blessing from God and a God-given purpose that we, we have something here to do on His behalf until our last breath. But we know not when that is going to happen. Only He does. And when it does, what's going to happen to you? Um... Some of you may be here this morning because uh, you firmly believe that, that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. And you want to be here this morning to glorify Him, to praise Him, give thanks to Him. Some of you are here um, perhaps because you're not sure why, but you know there's something very special about this day. You recognize that there's something unique about Jesus and there's something set apart, holy, about this particular day where we honor His resurrection. And then there's some of you who may be here because um, someone dragged you here. Whatever your reason is for being here this morning, I want you to know that there's a, a larger reason why you're here this morning. Whatever our motives or our friends' or family's motives might be, God's motive is that you would hear from Him this morning. That God is making His appeal to you this morning. 
that if you're a believer in Christ, that your faith would be encouraged and emboldened. That if you're not sure where you stand with Him, that when you leave here today, it would be clarified for you. And that if you haven't ever really, you've just kind of been wondering, like, is Jesus just one among many? Um, You know, you have a lot of questions. My hope and my prayer today is that Jesus would show Himself to you in a way that uh, um, sets Him apart from all others because he, He is not like any other. Jesus is above, His name is above all names. And what He has done for us is incomparable. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. We're going to, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks to uh, the Corinthian believers here about resurrection. And he builds off of that, the very beginning of chapter 15, he, he says that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, and he goes on to list a number of people that Jesus appeared to as proof that he's been resurrected, that there are many eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Paul says he appeared to all the apostles, and then Paul says he even appeared to me, though, though the way he appeared to Paul came in a different manner than he appeared to the other apostles. And then Paul addresses an issue that apparently was uh, going on in Corinth. He says, verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So apparently this was a discussion among uh, many people, including some people in the church, that there, were, that there was no resurrection of the dead, that Christ didn't, wasn't resurrected. Verse 13, But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. So he's kind of playing this theory out. And if Christ has not been raised, from the, raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So Paul's going to list off several things here. He says, if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, if, if, if He went in the grave and the, and the tomb was sealed and that was the end, um, then, then here are the consequences of that. Here are some truths if that's the case. One, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. My words are empty and meaningless, and your believing in Him is empty and meaningless. Verse 15, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So he says, so not only... um, are we preaching in vain this message and are you believing it in vain? But not only that, we're guilty of misrepresenting God. Because if Christ didn't raise from the dead and we're going around telling everybody He did, we're misrepresenting what God actually has done. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. In verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. That's the third thing he says is that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. We're misrepresenting Him when we tell people He's raised from the dead and that there's something to hope in. And you're still guilty of your sin. Meaning, 
Now here's, here's what, why that's so important. If you're still guilty of your sin before God, that means His wrath is still pointed at you. Everyone who sins against God, which is everyone, Romans says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans also says that the, the payment for that sin is death, which is a, a separation from God for eternity, a receiving of His wrath against our sin. If, 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 if Christ did not raise from the dead, you're still sitting in your sins. You are not forgiven. Which means the wrath of God is still uh, imminent. It is, it is going to come upon you and there's nothing you can do to escape it. Verse 18, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then all the folks who have gone before us who have died, um, that's just it. That's, that's the end for them. They die and then receive God's judgment and that's it. There's no hope of us being reunited before the throne of God. And then the last one in verse 19, if Christ has not risen from the dead, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ was not raised from the dead and we're going about this life trying to muster ourselves up some encouragement just by saying that He did and he, if, he, if it's not true that He did, um, how pitiful that we spend our whole life hoping for something that's never true and never going to happen. Well, verse 20. But in fact, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's language here it echoes some Old Testament language um, where the, the, God's people during harvest, at the beginning of harvest, they would bring their first fruits to Him. The first part of the harvest the, that would be dedicated and offered to God. Now, the first fruits of the harvest were not the entire harvest. It was the first fruits of the harvest. It was sort of the, the uh, uh, most important uh, part of the harvest. The, the first in sequence of, of order, um, but also the first in matter of importance and, and uh, preeminence. And, and that, that was the first fruits that were given to God. But it says here that Christ has been raised from the dead and He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ died, and when the Bible says fallen asleep here in the English Standard Version, it's talking about those who have died. Um, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? It, is, it means that He is the first and foremost. He is the first in, that, in the sense that He is uh, first in line, but He is first even more than that in preeminence, in importance, uh, in glory, in honor, in majesty, in that He raised from the dead. The first among many. He's the first fruits, which means there's more fruits. He's the beginning of the harvest. 
He was resurrected from the grave, which means there's more to come. And Paul's going to talk about that here. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And Paul, this, this could get a little confusing, but Paul's going to um, set up this contrast for the next few verses here between Adam, the first man, and Jesus. And so, through Adam, he's going he's gonna to explain this, that through Adam, uh, we have our tie to sin and death. But through Christ, we have new life and hope and resurrection. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So he just says there is an order of things that's going to happen. The first thing is, Jesus Christ is resurrected. That's the first. Then after that is going to be a harvest of others being resurrected. Believers in Jesus Christ. It says, but, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. Not all belong to Christ. Just because we're all sitting here this morning and we all can kind of at least verbally agree that, that Jesus is Lord does not mean that we all belong to Him. God looks upon the heart. Do you trust in Him? Do you give thanks to Him in your heart? for what He has done for you on the cross? Have you given your life to Him and said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Receive me as your child into your family. Until you've come to a place where you've surrendered your life to Him and confessed your sins to Him and turned away from that to trust in Him and follow Him, the Bible says you don't belong to Him yet. That you're not yet a member of His family. It's a popular language that uh, just in humanity that we all refer to all of humanity as children of God. There is a sense in which that's true and that we are all created in His image. That is, we are all created in the likeness of God. We bear His image among one another. We each are a reminder of the glorious God who created us. But it is not true in the sense that we are all a part of His family. Only those who have received Him by faith are a part of His family. And so, Paul says that Christ will be the first fruits and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then, um, then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God, or the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you realize when Jesus returns, we're going to be resurrected. And he's going to explain that in just a minute here, what that means for us. We're going to be resurrected into the family and kingdom of God. And death will be something that is permanently in our past. Anybody excited about that? How many of you are sick of death? Anybody? 
How many of you are tired of saying goodbye and seeing death overshadow and creep upon those you love? How many of you are tired of opening up the paper or turning on the news and seeing cover to cover various forms of death and decay? Our heart aches over this because that's not what we were created for. Sin has brought destruction and decay and death into this world. But there's something that lays before us that Paul's going to talk about here that is the glory that we were meant for. Sin is the last enemy to be destroyed by Christ. Or death, death is the last enemy to be destroyed um, by Christ. Verse 27, or let's go on down to verse 35, sorry. So, so Paul uh, lays out there uh, what's going to happen, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrected. Now he's going to talk a little bit more about what that is. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Now that's a good question. Paul, uh, you're talking about the resurrection and people being resurrected, but what is that going to look like? Paul says, um, well, you know, he says, your question is, with what kind of body do they come? He says, you foolish person, what, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Paul uses an, uh, a comparison here between uh, planting a seed and, and what our body being uh, dying and being resurrected. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. So, in other words, uh, I guess this, this, this analogy isn't totally perfect, uh, um, but um, you, you don't plant the thing you're, gonna, you're harvesting. The harvest and, and what you plant, they, they look different, right? You plant a seed and you harvest many, hopefully, right? And I say this analogy isn't perfect because I had a, uh, we, we used to have a neighbor that, um, I may have told you this story, he was trying his hand at gardening, built him a little raised bed, not much bigger than this table, and he planted a potato, and at harvest time, he harvested a potato. That's a little bit different than what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is getting at is these bodies that we have are like, like that kernel that gets planted in the ground. It dies. But there's something that is going to be raised up that is far more glorious. And unless this body goes away, uh, we're not going to enjoy the resurrected body that God is going to give us. And so he says, uh, but, God, but God, verse 38, but God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Paul says there's a difference between these, these bodies we walk around in and what God is going to give us. There's a difference. They're not the same. Um. When, when we're young, we're pretty sure these are the bodies that we were meant to have, right? 
And as we get older, we start going, what happened to that body I was supposed to have? These are, these are only uh, temporary. Paul's going to get into that more, but these are just temporary shelters for us. This is, this is clothing that we're going to put off to put something better on. Verse uh, 39, uh, or verse 40, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from glory, uh, for, for uh, star differs from star and glory. Verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This, this is, is, is a beautiful thing that God is saying here for us. Look, we know, and, uh, and in fact, God's Word tells us as much, it's not just us who groan over the shadow of death in our lives and on this earth. It is all of creation that groans over that. All of creation knows this is not what we were created for. But when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and into all of humanity, it affected all of creation. But when we're resurrected, the perishable becomes imperishable. What's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What's sown in weakness is raised in power. What's sown a natural body just this physical one is raised a spiritual body, something imperishable and immortal. Verse 45, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, it's referring to Adam, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What he's saying is, we were born in, in, uh, in likeness to Adam in that we have these earthly bodies and we have these fleshly tendencies of, in sin to rebel against our Creator. And because of that, we deserve, we deserve, frankly, God's wrath. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because He was raised from the dead and defeated sin and death once and for all for those who trust in Him, we will be raised uh, out of these, these earthly, fleshly bodies and out of these fleshly tendencies to be in likeness to our Savior that we will be raised in glory. And so we will bear our Savior's likeness in heaven, not Adam's likeness in heaven. 
We bear Adam's likeness now in that we wrestle with this sin. And these bodies are going to die. But Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. And we will live like Him for eternity. Look at verse 50 then as Paul goes on. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He says, look, if, you, if we're going to if we're going to enter the kingdom of God, if we're going to go to heaven, um, there, there are some things that just aren't going to pass through. Um, these, bodies, these bodies are not meant for heaven. These bodies are not meant for, for glorious eternity. They're, they're not going in. We're leaving them behind. These are bags that we're not checking we have to put away the perishable to inherit the, the imperishable. These bodies are corruptible and decaying. But if we're going to be in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to take on a whole new set of, of clothes. Imperishable bodies, uncorruptible bodies. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, when the Bible says this, talking about dying, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. When Christ comes back, believers, we are going to be transformed, changed. We're going to realize for the first time what we were, cre- what we were uh, at the very beginning of creation, uh, what God had intended for humanity. What, what you were made for. We can't even possibly comprehend that. We can only daydream about it at this point. And imagine what that will be like. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He quotes the prophet Hosea. But there's another prophet that this echoes too in Isaiah. And I want to read that to you. Isaiah chapter 25 I think the way Isaiah, um, the way it comes to us through Isaiah, we, it resonates with us pretty profoundly. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 7. It says, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. Uh, listen, to that, listen to that word picture that he gives. And He, God, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. What is the covering that is cast over all peoples? The veil that is spread over all nations. What is the veil that is spread over all nations? Verse 8, He will swallow up death forever. There is a covering and a veil that is spread over all peoples everywhere. And it is death. Death is always looming. It is part of living here on this earth. And we're reminded of it often. 
too often. But the promise of Scripture is that God is going to swallow that up forever. It says, And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. God is making His appeal to you today because whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, death is looming. It is a looming shadow for each one of us. And there is something that happens right after that moment for us. And it will be one of two things. We will either be received into the kingdom of God as His child because we had previously placed our faith in Him and received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, or we will be just awaiting His judgment to be poured out on us for eternity. Those, those, those are, the Bible is clear that there are only two options for us when we die. God's judgment for eternity or the glory of heaven offered to us through Jesus Christ. It is quite a gift that is offered to us. And for those who are in Jesus Christ, we can confidently say, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Do you know the law in the Old Testament? There's really... um, it's an, its intended purpose for us is to lead us to the realization that we desperately need a Savior. It's our tutor to lead us to Jesus who has laid down His life for us, who has paid the, the penalty of God's wrath against our sin. The law, the power of sin is the law, it says, because what the law speaks into our life is you fall short. You fall short. You fall short. You are condemned before God. You are condemned before God. You will not measure up when you stand before the Holy of Holies. That's not the final word. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where the law says you are condemned. You deserve God's wrath. You've fallen short. The cross says there is grace enough for you. Your payment has been paid in full through Jesus Christ. When I first became a believer and received Christ into my life, I had known all these things to uh, I'd known all these things uh, I'd say to be true. I mean, I, I believed they were true, but I hadn't really, hadn't really hit home with me that makes sense uh, in a way that changed me um, I could answer all the questions you know because I grew up in church and if you asked me about Jesus I could tell you about him I could answer your questions I knew the right answers um, but there was a moment 
when the weight of my sin was pressed down upon me. It was like a pack that was too heavy for me to lift that I couldn't stand under the weight of. And it was a, a dark pack that was a reminder of my deserving of, of God's wrath and punishment. And I felt the weight of that. But there was something that came just as quick as Paul here says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And then he quickly says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was that quick then that I realized that Jesus Christ paid the, paid the penalty for me. And when I received him by faith, I said, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. It was like, um, well, it was like the rays of sunshine that had been poking out this morning. Um, it was like the first time I received, got glasses. In middle school, I um, went to get eye exam, and the eye doctor said, you need glasses. Like, I didn't know I needed glasses. I thought I could see just fine. And then I put the glasses on. I was like, there are leaves on the trees and you can actually see them. Each leaf. It was amazing. Well, it was even more than that. When I stepped into the family of God, when I gave my life to Christ, and the weight was lifted off of me, I mean, it, was, it might as well have been a physical weight. Because I tell you, it felt like I was walking on air. It just, um, when God relieves you of your burden of sin, you will know it. And the moment I turned to Jesus and He forgave me of my sins was the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Close second is marrying my wife. But the second would not have come if the first hadn't come. Walking with Christ brings all sorts of blessings. And Paul, I want to leave you with this. One, if you have not given your life to Christ, do so today. God is making His appeal to you and there is no guarantee that you're getting a second chance. I, I don't, I'm not trying to dish out some hyperbole here. Uh, it is just truth. God is giving you this moment right now to respond to Him by faith. To receive His forgiveness of your sins. To ask Him to come into your life and be your Lord and teach you a new way. Take Him up on it. No matter how old or young you are, say, Lord Jesus, be my Lord and Savior today. I give you my life. I want to follow you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then I want to leave you with Paul's final verse here in, verse, in chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you know now that you have the hope of heaven laying before you and that the shadow of death no longer has a hold over you, that's been taken care of through Jesus Christ. And that just as Jesus was resurrected, so you are going to be resurrected. 
So, here's what Paul says to do now. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because there's one certain thing that we hold on to here. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. What you are living out in, in, on this earth, even though these bodies are decaying and the times are difficult and the shadow of death is looming over all nations, uh, it is not looming over you. And as you live out your new life in Jesus Christ and you seek to do good on His behalf as Ephesians 2.10 says we're to do, God saved us now from sin and now He saved us into the family of God where we do His works in this world. Be be steadfast and immovable in that. Just be constantly abounding in that work. Because any of your labor that you do in the name of Jesus Christ is not in vain. God is making His appeal to you today and for those of you who have trusted in Him, you know that glorious moment when He's forgiven you of your sins. And now every day you get to live in response to that with thankfulness. But if you haven't yet known that, please, please sit before Him today and hand over the reign of your life to Him and ask His forgiveness. Because His wrath is coming. His judgment is coming. Your last day is coming. And there will be no more chances. Again, I'm not trying to play this up. This is the truth. And the, and the world will tell you all kinds of garbage about how you're going to live forever and how there are all sorts of ways to heaven and maybe you even get second and third and fourth and tenth chances at it. It's not going to happen. The world is lying to you. The Bible is clear. We get one shot. One life. And when we die, the next thing that comes is the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is either going to be poured out on Christ through the cross if we believe in Him, or it's going to be poured out on you and I if we have not received Him by faith. And I pray that you have received Him by faith, that Christ has received that judgment for you, and you will enter into the kingdom of God on His righteousness. God loves you that much. The question isn't, why does God only give us one way to heaven? The question is, why does God even care at this point? Why would He even offer to us a way, and not just any way, but His very Son for us? Father, we thank You for this glorious gift that You have given us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. May we always be thankful for it. May it never be lost on us, Lord. And may, as each day goes by, may it have even more powerful meaning to us in our lives that You would send Your Son to die for us. And Lord, may it also, each day that goes by, fill us with an even greater hope of that which is yet to come. Lord, for those who are holding back from You, who just really don't want to give you control of their life, who really just want to do it their way. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would just impress upon them 
the foolishness of that pursuit. Lord, that you would turn their hearts to you to bring them to repentance over their sin and that they would trust in you. Lord, let us live in a way that is worthy of this calling that you've given us, this promise, this, this glorious gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as part of our worship and remembrance of Christ, um, we're going to receive communion together. And um, communion here is celebrated as a, and received among believers in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with church membership or what class you've been through or anything like that. It is as Jesus sat with his disciples around the Passover table and gave them bread and said, this, this is my body. This is given for you. And then he passed around the wine and said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. We as the family of God, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, we gather together to remember his sacrifice. And we don't much care about where we started or how we got to this point. What we care about is that Jesus is Lord of our life and that he is the one who laid down his life for us. And so that's what we remember in the receiving of communion. Um, what I'd like to ask you to do in just a moment, um, I'm going to pray and then uh, Sage is going to play during the time. There are three places, two in the back, one there, one there, and, and one up in the front where you can receive uh, the elements of communion. And then I would ask you to take them back to your seat with you and, um, and then we'll receive them all together as, as the church. Lord, as we come to this time of remembrance of, your, of the sacrifice of your Son on the cross, Lord, we give you thanks that your wrath was poured out there. We give you thanks that through it we find hope and peace with you, that no longer are we your enemies, but Lord, we are your children through Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you glory and we give you praise for this precious gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. chapter 5. Paul says, so then let us not sleep as others do. You know, there are many that are going to try and wander through life and as if um, the end is not coming and as if eternity is not real. And as if God's judgment is a thing that will never touch them. But Paul says, uh, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Lord, bless and keep you, church. If you haven't given your life to Christ, 
do it today. As long as it's today, give it to him. Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen.